Welcome back to Being Human is Weird. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in again, or maybe it's your first time. We'll never know. Today we have a very special guest, Brian Ulrich, who works as a licensed counselor and therapist in Western Michigan. He primarily works with couples and families and has told us that being married and having four young children, he is very much in the trenches along with the couples that he works with. The primary framework that he utilizes helps couples to regain relational health. And funny enough, that's the topic that we're going to talk about. So what? Brian, yay, thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me and uh, really excited to talk about the topic today. What does relational health mean? Please talk to us about it. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I, I kind of use a metaphor and equate relational health to physical health and in that there are some common foundational things that are really applicable between couples, kind of like with uh, with physical health in, in so much as things like diet and exercise and sleep are kind of broadly applicable. And then there's some more nuanced aspects that kind of vary person to person, depending on what their needs are, stress management or uh, past injuries or trauma or someone's mindset or motivation. So uh, similarly with relationships, health, there's kind of some foundational aspects that are really, uh, we might call these like preconditions for intimacy, that they, they kind of are foundational aspects to relational health. And those would be things like a, a relationship has to be uh, safe, sane, and sober, you know, for relational health to build upon. And there's really a fourth component too, which is full respect living. In other mm -hmm. words, being able to treat each other with, um, you know, uh, at least a baseline of respect, no matter how bad things get. Uh, and those are, those would be kind of be foundational things. And then there's more nuanced things. So those would be things like um, a couple having a stable mechanism for repair, relational repair, healthy communication, and learning how to be other-centered, particularly in the heat of conflict or when negative emotions are present. You mentioned stable mechanism repair and respectful communication. What do those two things mean? I have to be yeah. honest, in the past, I've been somebody who just kind of absorbs the conflict and then walks away and pretends like everything's fine. <laughs> no, it's a great question. And it kind of ties into in your opening question, you had asked a little bit about does that mean couples have to be happy all the time? And of course, uh, the you know we know the answer to that is no. Uh, Terry Real is an author and therapist, and and founded what's called relational life therapy, which is all about um, learning how to live relationally. He would suggest that all relationships are an endless cycle of harmony, disharmony, and repair. When we talk about relational repair, it kind of uh, presupposes that disharmony is is normal and um, it's going to happen. We want to kind of help remove common stumbling blocks that they have so that they can have less disharmony. But the idea is when you have a, a stable mechanism of repair, knowing that you can go to each other in, in a healthy way, resolve conflict, it helps the disharmony happen less frequently. And harmony doesn't necessarily mean that you're seeing eye to eye with your partner on everything. Harmony within your definition sounds like it means you have a base level of respect for each other to go into whatever the issue might be, disharmony. I think the distinction often is just a recognition that it's not uncommon. And, and we could think about this in our own lives too, whether it's with an intimate relationship or a family, you know, harmony is generally kind of we're, we're doing okay. You know, we're doing well. We even have, so it's not uncommon that they might come in and say, yeah, we had, you know, like a really good week. And then Sunday things kind of blew up. So 
it's kind of the, on, on a good day. What does the relationship look like? And disharmony uh, can get ugly. I mean, those are the times when things can kind of break down. And um, uh, a lot of times when couples are coming at the point they're ready to come to therapy, you know, they, they've gotten a, a pretty ingrained pattern of really nasty fights. And, and mm-hmm. it's difficult for them to get out of it. And we can talk about uh, uh, why those might be there and how we uh, disrupt those a bit. But um that that's a real common issue that couples are coming in with. So it's not just communication. They might present with communication, but often it's kind of this ingrained pattern of what do we tend to think or feel when negative emotions are present? What behaviorally do we tend to do that we're not proud of? Do you think that those patterns arise within each individual couple or that we bring a lot with us from the way that we were raised or does it even matter where the pattern comes from? Uh, n- no, I think it, it does. And uh, there's an old adage, which is um, how you were held determines how you hold. And so there is a lot of interplay between how we grew up, what was modeled for us, that, you know, the relationship between our parents or caregivers and the relationship between us and our caregivers. How was um, conflict handled? Who did we tend to go to for comfort? How was how that received? And um, here's the really, really interesting thing, you guys, is it's not just the wounds or sometimes trauma that happened in our younger years that stays with us. It's often the coping strategies we developed in response to those wounds that stay with us sometimes for, for life. Learning to shut down just because it wasn't emotionally safe to share things or if I spoke up or, you know, try to um, go against the grain, you know, there was hell to pay or learning to, I I just went toe to toe. There was a lot of yelling in the house. That was just how we handled conflict. And that many of these coping strategies were super adaptive when we were younger, but they become really maladaptive as we get older and they kind of emerge the same things we did in response to those negative emotions. We are obviously all individual. We've all had different Mm -hmm. backgrounds. We all do have these different patterns and coping, but are there common disharmony fights that you see moreover across the board? Yeah. What we tend to do uh, personally with with our boundaries, you know, this tendency, this could be, again, a holdover from when we were younger, like I just learned it was safer to just shut it down. Uh, So kind of going walled off. The other end of that spectrum, though, is going more boundaryless, and that would be almost like whatever's almost like the barf bag approach to intimacy. Just like whatever is there emotionally is kind of coming out. This would be more on a bad day, so we're not saying this is the like this is the harmony. So this is particularly in the presence of negative emotions or if we feel defensive has everything to do with self esteem. It would be like uh, shame, shaming out uh, again in the presence of negative emotions. Well, I must be as you know, awful as you say I am, or like, I don't don't know why you're with me then. So it's the idea that in the presence, again, of negative emotions, it's almost like you you did this to me. How how dare you? You you were not done talking about this, you know, get back here and sit down. I I can't believe you made me feel this way, or I'm so angry with you. There's kind of these four quadrants that we can pop into, and we would call these like, almost like a relational stance. And so the idea is, if if you were to look at that as a grid, we want to help couples really stay in that the center of the grid. What what does it look like to, to remain in that more wise adult part of your your brain and psyche and how do both people do that it can be really really profound helping them repair and those skills include recognizing those patterns and yeah. then learning new coping that strategies. self-awareness is yeah 
talk. Yeah. So individual skills, things like learning to regulate emotions, self-awareness, even of where, where do I tend to go? Like, Ooh, that's where I find myself on a bad day. Okay. When I find myself going there. Um, yeah. That could be things like learning to not try to engage in a conversation. If you're in one of those four quadrants, that could be taking a break for some people, uh, recentering themselves, taking some breaths, splash some water on your face, get yourself a bit more centered. But there's also some relational mindfulness um, skills that are really important to like what what types of communication concepts can we introduce for the couple that they can do this successfully? Because the the challenge if we were only individually focused is they take a 10 minute break, kind of get themselves centered, but then get back into the old patterns that, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and everything charges up again. In fact, that that's not uncommon that an individual might say, well, yeah, I'm happy to do the timeout thing, but like we've tried that before and we come back together and it just flares up again. <clears throat> this would be kind of relational mindfulness skills. We want to um, uh, get rid of objectivity battles, who's right, who's wrong. It leads to exactly what you can imagine it leads to is trying to marshal our evidence and say, okay, no, no, you're not hearing me. I, when I said that you were, you know, and it's like, well, no, I'm not. How could you say that? Give me an, give give me an example. That's not a good Mm -hmm. example. We want to learn to become uh, emotionally safe for one another. That takes some work. Um, there, there's some components to that that are needed right in those moments because we can be really emotionally safe if it's like a loving conversation or we're out on a dinner date, but what does it look like to do that when we're charged up in the course of this, we don't want to uh, swing the other direction where nothing gets brought up. Like, it's like, I, I did a really good job regulating, but I just didn't say anything. So how do we help empower somebody, but help them be both empowered and loving at the same time? Um, how to communicate in that way. Like, so we don't want either person to be a doormat, but what does it look like to communicate your needs? You know, cause some of these conflicts are real topic that need mm-hmm. to be addressed. We don't want to just eliminate these things, but how do we do this in a way that you can communicate from a very like an eye centered focus and the other person you kind of lay the groundwork for them to step up for you in the way that you want them to what is an easy or very common example that you use with couples to help them do that uh one of the things that we talk about is learning to develop internal boundaries so in individual therapy there's a focus on developing boundaries with people in our lives internal boundaries have everything to do with Uh, our relationship with our own emotions. What might it look like to be able to hang in there for your spouse or partner in a way that they can express, again, assuming they can do this in in a healthy way, what they're struggling with. And it doesn't have to feel like a knife to the chest. How might it be for the other person to say, I I have not been feeling very loved by you lately. And to just be able to validate that when we get rid of objectivity, that doesn't mean that that has to be objectively true, but it's true for them. To be able to do that, though, involves regulating that part of us that would want to get defensive. That's a lot of the work and helping them do that, learning to identify the times that they might need to put up a protective boundary. There's other people that their boundaries are are way too thick. So they're, they shut down in those conversations. It's like, hello, anybody home? You know, also recognizing as we do this work around boundaries with our own emotions, that uh, emotions tell us what we feel, n- not always what to do. I hate to feel a little bit shocked or surprised, but still hang in there for, uh, for your partner. Some of these things seem trite, but I, I think for couples work, metaphors, mantras, 
chance that you can get in, internal dialogue that you can give them to help of an orange and that an orange really has two layers the outer part of the orange would be thought of as like a protective boundary that protects us from the world it's kind of like we were talking about that idea of not everything that the other person is saying has to like pierce us the uh the white part of the orange though would be what we'd call a containment boundary and that protects the world from us. It's the degree to which we're able to regulate, to kind of process, to um, help focus our thoughts. If we're bringing something up, make it, you know, as focused as possible, you know, do it in a way that's, that's uh, allows the other person to come through for us. So rather than why do you always have, why can't you ever, I haven't been uh, feeling very, or, um, you know, when you said that, what that triggered in me was, or, um, hey, right or wrong, I have been feeling kind of fill in the blank. If we can get both of those, our protective boundary and our containment boundary boundary, kind of in a healthy place, uh, that can be really, really helpful for doing this repair stuff. No matter what, that inner work or that self-awareness is going to look so different for everybody. I know I learned from you, Brian, the essentially eliminate saying things like always or never when you're talking to your partner. And that's something that I just keep in my mind. You know, um, equipping people or yourself with a hundred different tools is always going to be better than just latching onto one and assuming that it's going to fix everything. Yeah, well said. Why therapy is so important. It's so important. For everyone. <laughs> we all have life skills that we can develop to be better humans. There are some stuff that I've found to be pretty widely applicable in terms of challenging the patterns, disrupting the patterns. They're a huge, huge, huge one can be helping a couple really learn to implement validation and empathy when they're the listener receiver, irregardless of whether you think what the other person is saying is objectively true. Now, this does assume that what the other person is saying is inbound. So we're not, of course, validating verbal abuse or emotional abuse or nastiness or name calling or belittlement. But you know, if it's an expression of their how they're feeling, even if it's hard to hear, verbal validation, something like, hey, that that makes sense. You know, I can see how that would be really frustrating is so powerful. And we take turns. Whoever's bringing something up, we, you know, shift into a stance of validation, which is tough. Again, this is in the moment work that we've got to do. We, it might, because it might be about us. You've been really, really frustrating me because I've asked you to, you know, help out with this and, and you have it. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I could see how that would be really frustrating. And upsetting like is there anything I could do or say right now that could help uh just making it emotionally safe for the other person to share if a couple can introduce the ability to validate and empathize even if they don't necessarily with what's being said it is absolutely transformational it, but but not easy to do because we're often asking you to validate something that may not feel true and that right there that is a huge problem because it's almost like well if I validate it does that mean I'm saying it's true no but we've got to shift you out of that mindset. It's two subjective experiences coming together. So you have to set yourself aside. That's what I think being in a partnership or any type of close relationship is. It's not about you. It's something that they're experiencing and you getting defensive and freaking out about it and giving them re here's why how you feel is not true. Yeah. Right? Never 
I hate to say never, but it never works. Validating their experience doesn't mean that you have to claim it as your own experience. Right. right. And you yeah. don't have to agree that you're the worst person, you know, whatever. But it's something that to them, it is so true. Those uh, those principles of uh, validation and empathy come from a framework in the couples therapy world called Imago therapy. There, there's one actually before that called, uh, it would be mirror validate and empathize, mir mirroring back what they're saying, um, just to make sure you got it. But you know, some stuff, once you grasp it, it can be really freeing because we can give up this notion of like having to prove ourselves in terms of, you know, like evidence, ugly model of winning and losing an argument or getting defensive. The The term for this is learning to be differentiated, recognizing that we're, we're separate people. Our relationship is a, a major component of like learning, where do I start and stop? Where does she begin? Like a lot of people will say like, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings. I just, I don't know what to say. Or it'll happen mm -hmm. right in the session and they'll look and they'll say like, see, what do I do with this? Like, I don't know what to do with it. The validation and empathy can be so, so, so profound because it, it gives the other person a feeling of feeling felt, not just feeling heard. It's like, oh, so I don't have to like fight you to get you to hear me like you're okay. That soothing moment can be just an opportunity to say it and be heard. Well, crew, we learned a ton from Brian today. Please check our Instagram page for resources relating to this relationship episode. Next week, you can expect part two, where we'll dive even deeper into relational health, what that means. And of course, Brian will be back. So please tune in and we will catch you next week. If you are with us and believing being human is weird, then like, subscribe, share, all of those things that the kids are doing. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at beinghumanisweird. That's where we're going to be sharing resources, inspiration, and news about our podcast. And we would love to hear from you. So slide right into our DMs with questions, comments, and what you'd like to hear more of. And thank you so much for listening, weirdos. 